All right. Well, uh, good evening, everybody. Again, it's a uh, it's time to begin. Obviously, I'm the guest speaker, or not guest, just a speaker. Um, so I think, at least for me, I know all the guys thus far, I think, have done a great job at bringing us uh, God's Word, and I hope it's been impactful. I hope it's been helpful. Uh, my biggest prayer is that it helps all of us as individuals and a church family to be better at being bridge builders. Now, if you're here with us for the first time tonight, uh, our theme this summer has been on building bridges to people and how we do that more effectively And a lot of our lessons have really fit well together. I'll be honest with you, at first glance tonight, my lesson does not seem to fit the rest of them. Um, It's entitled, Navigating the Bridge of Command and Tradition. And if I had to retitle that a different way, I might just simply say, um, how tradition can affect building bridges, or building bridges and tradition, and how those two can intersect. And essentially, what I'm saying tonight is, if we're not careful... Tradition can hinder us from building bridges with people. If we're not careful, our tradition can uh, hinder our ability or even our desire to reach other people. And we'll get into that tonight. And at first it might seem like, okay, this is a fine lesson, but it really doesn't have a lot to do with bridge builders. Please just hold on with me for a moment and we'll talk about it in a second. So we talk about tradition. There are two stories I'll share with you just to illustrate tradition. One of them you've likely heard before because preachers have shared this story forever. I mean forever. It's like they pass secrets this way. But there's that young lady who's recently married, and it's her job to make the ham for Thanksgiving dinner. And she's making it, and she goes to cut off both ends of it as she's making it. Some of you are like, I've heard this story before. Well, you're going to hear it again. Enjoy it. And the husband's like, what, what are you doing? She's like, well, this is how it's done. And she says, I don't think so. And she's like, well, let me call my mom. So she calls her mom's like, mom, I'm making the Thanksgiving ham. You always cut off the ends. So that's what I'm doing. Why do we do that? And she said, well, that's the way my mother always did it. Call your grandma. So she calls grandma. Grandma, I'm making the ham just like mom did, just like you did. I'm cutting off the ends. Why did you do that? And it's because why? Do you remember? Well, that's what she did, but because it couldn't fit, it couldn't fit. That's why I cut it off when I cooked. It just couldn't fit. And it's just this idea of we see something being done, and it was done for a reason, a, a smart reason, but we see it done over and over again that we start to assume there's another reason why we do it, or maybe it's the way it has to be done. I'll give you another example. If you're older, you might remember this, but in congregations when they would take the Lord's Supper, they used to have, you know, a plate with the bread on it. We still have bread in here, by the way, if you're hungry. I'm just kidding. Um, but kind of like this, like there was a thing called a doily. Do you guys know what a doily is? Yeah. It's like a cloth type thing they put over. And guys used to take this little doily type thing and they would, that, that word's weird, by the way. It, they would take this mat type item and they would fold it. And they would say something like, or some people would say, well, it has to do when, uh, you know, with Jesus's linen cloths and how you, uh, it's folding them to represent, we you know, when he was buried and resurrected, like his cloths. Well, the reason those started being put on bread at the beginning was to keep flies off the bread. But see, what happened is over time, we start to assume other reasons. And if we're not careful, maybe we start to assume it has to be done that way. And we're going to talk about just some things like that tonight. We have to understand the difference between a command and a tradition. If someone asked you to explain those, how would you do it? I think the simplest way to talk about a command is, a command is an obligation imposed by God. 
It is when God says, be this or do this. And that's kind of it. It's, it's God instructing us and we have to fulfill it. Um, and to not fulfill it would be a command. You might see that in scripture called law, the word of God in the Old Testament, the law of God, the law of Moses. Hey, God's instructions on here's what to do or be. And those commands can be general. They can be specific. And many times they are both general, generic and specific. We have some commands we have specific things we have to do. We have general things that maybe we have multiple options on how to fulfill it. But there's commands where God says, hey, do this or be this. And if you don't do it, that would be sin. Tradition is not that way. Uh, Tradition, I think the best way to describe it is it's instruction that's passed down from people. You know, commands are instruction passed down from God. Tradition is simply passed down from other people. It can be a thought. It can be a teaching. It can be an action. But the important thing to note with tradition is it doesn't come from God. It comes from people, and that, that's a big difference. Um, it's not on the same level as God's word, and we shouldn't treat it as such. Now, don't misunderstand me. Tradition is not inherently bad. Tradition is neutral. I think that's a good way to describe it. In fact, I would say most things that have become tradition when they started, they were good. I mean, they were done for a reason. Somebody thought this is the best or most biblical way to fulfill a command, and there's nothing wrong with that. Traditions typically are ways to fulfill God's word. We have a command. There's multiple ways we can do it. We think this is the best way. And so we go about it that way. And we do it over time. And what happens is they become common practices. And the more we do it and the longer time goes on, maybe we start to think that common practice is more than just a tradition or a choice. It's, you know, that's what God said and how to do it. And that's it. And that's not what traditions were meant to be. Uh, we can elevate thoughts and actions to a position of God's word, and it was never meant to be so. Now, once again, traditions are not bad. I'm not railing on traditions tonight. Uh, look, we eat certain foods at holidays. Some of you eat you know, a, the same meal every Christmas or Thanksgiving time, right? That's my assumption. A few years ago... Uh, we switched our Christmas dinner on my dad's side of the family to Mexican food because we were like, why are we eating ham and turkey back to back? We just wanted to change it. Thankfully, no one in my family threw a pitchfork when I gave that idea um, at my face. But we changed it. But you probably have foods like that at holidays. Maybe you do the same thing before bed as a family. Uh, our country has traditions. Think of Fourth of July. Uh, and we have them religiously, too. And there's nothing wrong with tradition. What's wrong is when we elevate it when we consider it on equal value or footing as the word of God. And what's very bad is when we bind that on other people. When we say, you have to do this the exact same way or else you're a sinner or you don't love God. or That's when tradition is really bad. And so we're going to talk about tonight, and hopefully you'll see what this has to do with being a bridge builder in a few moments. But if you have your Bible, look at Mark chapter 7. We're going to spend our entire time looking at Mark 7. What we're going to see in this passage, I think, is that there are four, there are four negative results of what happens when you elevate tradition to the spot of a command. And, uh, I think they're good, good things for us to understand so that maybe they motivate us to not do the same thing. But Jesus will encounter a group of people who had a lot of traditions. And it wasn't simply they had a lot of traditions, but it was the way they enforced them and the way they believed about them. 
And we're going to look at that. So if you start reading with me, I, I want to look at verse 1 through 5. So we're going to kind of take it bit by bit and talk in between. But look at verse 1 through verse 5 with me. It says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem... They saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands. And we'll pause right there. And what we're going to see in this first little section is that one negative consequence or result of elevating tradition to the same spot as God's word or commands is, commands become far less important. When you elevate tradition to the spot of a command, you make a command less important. And we'll get into that. Uh, Notice who came to Jesus to talk to him. It's, It's the Pharisees and the scribes. It's interesting that they don't say, Jesus, you're eating with defiled hands, or all of your disciples. It's just some. They also come from Jerusalem to say this. So it appears they have some impure motives from the get-go. If you're not familiar with the Pharisee, a Pharisee was uh, a group of Jews that they were experts in the law. They were expert in the law of Moses, you know, the Old Testament, all of the, the writings God had given to them. And they were people who strived to be as pious or holy as possible. You know, look at that guy. He is so holy. Like he, he does everything just exactly as God says. That was kind of their motivation. The scribes, when you think of a scribe, think of a, uh, a printer or a copier. Think Kinko's or Office Max. Uh, these are people that's their job when they saw the, when they heard the law or when they were given the law, they were just supposed to write it down. They copied it. Around the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, their job got elevated to where not only were they copiers, but then they became teachers of the law. And they would interpret it and tell you how it was to be applied. And so these groups fit well together. And they come to Jesus and say, hey, look, your disciples are eating with defiled hands. And when you read that sentence by itself and you don't read further, you think, oh, that sounds bad. You know, they must be breaking the law. Um, But... Mark goes on to tell you what exactly it is. He says, their hands were what? Unwashed. Okay, in the same way that when your kid's been running around outside all day and it's time for dinner, you tell them to go wash their hands, or if you don't, you just, you're nasty. And I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, but they have unwashed hands, and simply it's like, hey, you have dirty hands, according to them. And according to the Pharisees, your hands are unclean. Now, that wasn't an issue of God. That wasn't a commandment of God. They had taken uh, this idea of clean hands, a spiritual concept, and they had applied it to being physically clean hands, and they applied it a wrong way, and they made it more than it was ever intended to be, but it wasn't a command of God. And you see that there in verse 3. If you look again at verse 3, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the what? Tradition of the elders, okay? Not a command of God, not in the law, it was a tradition. And so they say, look, you're not following our traditions. It's interesting with these traditions. uh, This is hundreds of years of tradition that have been passed down, essentially. And at the time, they were passed down orally. They hadn't written this out at the time. So this is just 
generation to generation, they would pass it on. These traditions they would follow. And it just kept going on. And it would end up being written in a book called the Mishnah around the year 200 AD. If you want to know like the, the habits or the traditions of Pharisees, you can go look in that book. Um, so that's interesting, though. It was We're talking 170 years after Jesus' death or his time is when this book was finished. But they passed these traditions around orally. And traditions aren't the commands of God, but when it came to the Pharisees, they treated them as such. They might not would have said, these are the commands of God, but they, would, they, they were kind of even playing field in a way to them. And they would enforce them on other people like they were. And that's what you see them doing here. Uh, they would enforce and bind these traditions like they were God's word. And so they took this idea of having clean hands. They took it too far. They went extreme with it. And they would say, you essentially can have unclean hands from anything. Like you go to the marketplace. I don't know what you touched. You probably touched something dirty. Your hands are defiled. Uh, they would say things like, you're going to drink from a cup. You know, better clean your hands. In fact, you better clean the cup that you're going to drink of or it will cause you to be defiled. Uh, you're going to sit down on your dining couch to eat. You better clean the couch. I mean, they were serious. There are far more traditions than just the ones mentioned. If they would wash their hands in a vessel of stone and the stone had a crack in it, they would say, well, now the vessel's impure. i got to go find a, a more, I have to clean the, the stone or find a new one. I mean, that's how intense their traditions were. And they come to Jesus and say, look, your disciples have dirty hands and they're defiled. Why aren't they following that, the practice of our elders? I don't know. If when they started this view or when the first time this happened, this idea of washing your hands, I don't know if they viewed it as law when it started, but at this point, they view it as law. And they had no authority from God to do so. And this tradition becomes equal in their eyes to God's law and they bind it upon others. And that's the problem. That's the problem. Having a tradition is okay. I don't think it's wrong for them to want to wash their hands a certain way or to have this own rule for themselves on how they do it. But when you make it as a rule of God and you enforce it that way, that's an issue. They are expecting more from people than God did. Think about that for a second. They are expecting people to do something God didn't expect them to do. Does that seem like an issue to you? Um, To say, here's God's expectations, but no, here's more than that. You're making it harder. Sometimes we are very worried about being uh, liberals. I, I just said that from the pulpit, right? Liberalism. And, you know, here's God's word and we're not, we're not following all of it completely. We get worried about relaxing some of God's commands or not doing them all the way or as God said. And that's a good concern to have. We don't want to fall into that in a sinful way. But adding to God's word is equally as wrong, isn't it? Didn't God say, do not add to or take away from? And sometimes, I don't know if it's, first of all, the word liberal and conservative is not in our Bible. Um, but our goal should want to be, we should want to be biblical. I'm not trying to be a conservative or a liberal. I just want to be biblical. And we get worried about one side for good reasons. We see some of the things going on in churches and in our world. But we should also want to make sure we're not adding to God's word either and making it harder or expecting more from people than he does. I read this quote. It says, when tools become rules, we become fools. When we take a tool to do something God's commanded us to do, something that helps us fulfill a command, and we make it, it has to be that way, or else, or you're wrong, we're foolish. And sometimes, if we're not careful, we can make simply a tool this rule that everyone has to follow. But I want you to notice, when we elevate 
tradition to a command, we end up, we end up making commands less important. We, we lift up the words of men and we lower the words of God. And I think sometimes we, you know, typically when we do that, when we elevate tradition, we think we're defending the word of God. Like I'm being a defender, I'm protecting it. But what we're actually doing is making it less important. Because we're making a rule more than what God did. You know, raising tradition to God's standard is a quick recipe to get away from the heart and desires of God. We can get so focused on an idea or a practice that we forget what God is really focused on. This affects people in two ways. One, they might become so discouraged or burdened by the tradition that's being forced upon them, they might throw out the command with it completely. You ever seen that? It's like there's so many of these extra things I'm not reading in Scripture that you're telling me I have to do, and I'm just going to forget all of it. We have that phrase, don't throw the baby out with, right? And you shouldn't do that. Um, Don't throw out the command. But at the same time, if we're pushing all these extra restrictions on people, that's so burdensome, right? What did Jesus say? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so we have to be careful about that. Another thing that might happen is, Others might come to make the tradition a command too. And then we create this cycle where more people go beyond Scripture. And we don't want to do that either. And so the Pharisees here are trying to make people not like God, but like them. I want you to follow what I think and my practices, not God. They're making people like them, not God. And that's what happens when we elevate tradition. We can end up trying to make people like us instead of like Jesus. I want you to come think like me, not like Jesus. And that's not what this is about. Are we trying to make Christians or make copycats? It's, it's just something to think about at times. If we elevate tradition, we can do that. Now, obviously, there's a lot of things in churches we do that they're just commands of God. That's what the people of God do. But we need to make sure we can distinguish tradition from command. And we're not forcing everyone to do everything just like us, even if it's simply tradition. Um, When we elevate that, commands become less important. Look at verse 6. Read verse 6 to verse 10 with me. So we see that you make commands less important, but start with me in verse 6. It says, And he said to them, Well did Jesus says to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines, the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Uh, We'll keep reading. Uh, But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. The second thing we notice here is that when we elevate tradition to command, we become a people who pretend. We become pretenders. Jesus uses the words of the prophet Isaiah to rebuke them. You are like the people Isaiah spoke of is what he's saying. And that had to sting for a group of people who were supposed to be experts in God's word. 
He says, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. You might speak like you're close to me. It might sound like you're close to me, but that's far from the truth. Because what's within you, Pharisees, is not close to me. He's telling them, you have a heart problem. There is something within you that is not right. You have made yourself rulers of your heart by reinforcing your opinion and reinforcing your ways or your thoughts over the words and thoughts of God. And he says, because of that, you might sound right or sound good and holy, but what's within you is, is not. Notice that next line. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. That idea of doctrine means truth. You teach, you teach your opinion like it's, that's God's word. It's truth. But he says, in vain do you worship me. It, because your heart isn't in the right place, your worship doesn't mean much to me. It's meaningless. It's pointless. Um, you are far from me. So the songs and the things like that, they don't mean much to me. All of this washing you're doing, Pharisees, to be pure, all of these actions you take, these words you say to seem like you're right and holy, they don't matter because something's off in your heart. Your heart is not there. And the reason why their heart is not there is because they have made themselves kings by teaching and following their opinion as though it's God's word. And they do that under the disguise of this is God's rule. This is God's law. I think the key word there was in verse 6. And he said to them, Isaiah prophesied what? You hypocrites. It means an actor or a pretender. Um, In the Greek theater, that's where this word comes from. Um, you would have an actor play multiple roles, and they would use a different mask. You know, we we have like CGI and costumes that can do that now, but in one play, you know, someone could use different masks, and the mask would, it's the idea of you're playing a new character, and he's telling them, you're essentially, you're playing a different character than what you really are. You seem holy and all pure on the outside, but on the inside, that's not who you are. Uh, there's something wrong there. And so this is a performance. It's a play. You follow the opinion of men over me. You follow what you desire over me. And yet you act like you're following me. You act holy, but you're a hypocrite. You're not what you claim to be. It's all outward. It's an outward show, but there's nothing there inwardly. When we elevate the traditions of men and follow it as command of God, we too become a people who pretend. That's already easy enough, isn't it? Like, we can come here on a Sunday morning, and we can sit down, and I can sing all the words of a song. I can close my eyes and bow my head. I, I probably could ignore the whole prayer and be thinking about anything else. I, I can sit through a sermon. I can check that box and be pretending. And we can sometimes think that showing up and checking those boxes makes us good. That's not what it's about. There's more to it than that. And here, that's their issue. Even more so, though, it's they're not just simply doing the right things, they're even forcing the wrong things or something that's beyond Scripture as command. Um, When you follow tradition as command, or when I follow tradition as command, you focus on what you're doing, but you miss out on the why, and you miss out on the who behind it all. You ever worried about that? You know, sometimes we can talk about all the things we do as a congregation, and we're so about this is how you do it, this is how you do it, even when it's right, but we forget about this is why we're doing it. This is about the who, Jesus, that we're doing it. And we can do that with tradition too. We can make a minor thing the major thing. And that's not good for us. And so they become so attached to ideas that they have that the ideas become a part of their identity. In doing so, 
they lost the God part of their identity. It became more about their thoughts than about God himself and what he had said. And that can happen to us too. We can be outwardly good looking, but dirty on the inside. We can be clean or pure on the outside, but inwardly defiled. We can seem close to God, but on the inside we're not. And one way that happens, one way is we elevate tradition. We make following Jesus a checklist. We become more concerned about what we are doing than the who or the why. Sometimes we can do something for so long that we think it makes us right instead of Jesus makes us right. And we have to be careful about that. And you might be thinking, okay, John, I get your point. Makes sense. But what does it have to do with building bridges? And the point is, when you do that with tradition, building bridges will suffer. People can suffer and relationships can suffer. Look at verse 9 through 13 again. He said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. And so here Jesus says, look, people suffer for your sake of tradition. Relationships have suffered for your sake of tradition. Um, And here's an example of how they had elevated tradition, not simply to the word of God. This is how they had elevated their tradition over the word of God. In verse 9, he says, establish your tradition. It's the idea of guard or keep. They're trying to protect their ways. But he references the law of Moses, the commands of God about honoring your parents. Um, Exodus twenty twelve, Deuteronomy five sixteen. that's the honor your father and mother passages of the Old Testament. Um, the commands about anyone cursing their parents, that is Exodus 21, 17, Leviticus 29. And what he means there is they're mistreating their parents. And he sheds light on what they're doing to mistreat their parents or not honor them. In the next verse, it's the verse 11. If a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother. So the Old Testament, under the law, you are required to financially help your parents in their older age. That's, some of you are like, are you really? Uh, can we go back to that? Some of you poked your head up like, you know, it's getting expensive out here to live. Um, but you are, you are obligated to help your family financially. And... Um, the Pharisees gave them an out. They, they just kind of gave them an out. They, they would tell people, you can mark your money as Corban. I think I'm saying that right. I might, Corban, Corban, I don't know. But Corban meant to be, it meant, you could say, this is Corban. That's, I'm devoting this as a gift to God. So you could take this sum of money that you could help your parents with, but you could say, well, I'm sorry, I've already dedicated that to the Lord. I've already dedicated it to God, so I'm sorry, but I can't give it to you. And now your parents are left without help. By the way, guess who would stand to benefit from money being dedicated to the temple? Pharisees, the same people. So you see how it works? Like it's kind of, it's kind of nice. Hey, you should dedicate it to the Lord. That's okay. Because they might stand to get something from it. Um, The very people Jesus is talking to about this. But they established this tradition of Corban or Corban over the command of helping your father and honoring your father and mother. And simply notice, who suffered for that? Their parents did. Someone actually 
there was a hindrance there. There was some, I had to imagine that was an issue in a relationship. Maybe they wouldn't say, you know, you're, you're neglecting God's word. Maybe the parents thought, yeah, you've dedicated it to God and that's tradition. And, but still, that, people suffer for that. And you might think it's a stretch, but if we aren't careful, when we elevate tradition to command, I think we can cause issues with relationships and even in reaching people for the sake of tradition. It might not be the same situation as here, obviously, but it, it can happen. You know, we can hold on to an idea so tightly that it keeps us from having a relationship with those who may disagree or hold to another. Doesn't our world work that way? Um, I remember they told you how awesome it was going to be to vote when you got older when I was in junior high and high school. (laughs) I think my first election was Trump and Clinton. And I was like, you watch the world was like trying to light each other on fire. um, And you're like, oh, this is fantastic. What a privilege it is to vote. This is the best leaders our whole country has. This is great. Um, And there were a lot of jokes online because when is election season? What month? The same time around what holiday? (laughs) And people were like... In the most polarized time it felt like in our world, it's like, do I really want to go eat with my family who thinks differently than me? (laughs) It's like, what are the two topics you can't talk about at Thanksgiving dinner? Religion and politics, right? Because if they think differently than you, we just, nope. And you know what's sad? Do you know people who literally will not spend time or talk with their family because they disagree on things? Now, understand, some of the things they disagree on might be sinful. Like, I'm not saying we... Once again, we're talking about tradition, not commands here, okay? So don't, don't misunderstand me. But, like, we already have a world in which we have different ideas, we get in our corners, and we fight, you know? And I, I want nothing to do with you. And, uh, man, this even happens in the church, though. It's not just our world. We, we can do this in the church with our opinions on tradition, on things that God has not legislated on or legislated on specifically. Um, think about if we say we were growing, and we want to renovate the building, or we want to build a new building. That's exciting, right? But what are going to be the, all the difficult things that are going to happen? Well, what shape is the building going to be? Well, I want it to be like a circle, so everyone can see each other's face. Well, I want it vertical, because you know, I, I kind of like the vertical idea better, and we've always had it that way. And, uh, you know, okay, books are a PowerPoint. We've, we've kind of moved past that a bit, but you get the idea. We, we can all, we'll all have different opinions about everything as we build this new building. And what might happen is, I think my opinion is the right way, and you think your opinion is the right way and the only way, and so we're going to come over here and get on different teams, and we're just going to bicker about it and argue until ultimately we divide. That could be on anything dumb, like carpet color or pews or a foyer, but that can go far beyond that too, to other things. Um, order of worship, who knows what. Uh, but we can get on different teams And it happens in the world, and this happens in the church. The point is, when we elevate our opinion or tradition to a command, it hurts relationships. If we're not willing to sacrifice opinion for opinion or come together, and you can can think that and I can think that, and we're brother and sister still. Um, We can be so concerned with this is how we've always done it that we never reach anybody. Or we never, or we hurt relationships with our family. You know, we would rather do it this same way than be uncomfortable and try something new. And remember, I'm not talking about tradition. I mean, sorry, I'm not talking about commands. Repeat this after me, John. Repeat this after me, John. John. John is not talking about 
commands. Okay, you can't get mad at me after this lesson. Um, but we can get so used to doing it some, a certain way that anytime someone might have a different thought about that, we get scared or fearful and we just we let it bother us. We neglect them. We ignore them. And this is not going to be a discussion tonight. I'm ignoring. I'm not talking. I don't want to talk about. Well, what's what are all the possible traditions we have and discuss and debate on whether they are or not? That doesn't seem fruitful, and I think that causes us to miss the point. We have to think about that on our own. It will come up naturally in church life, and if they're challenged, that's when we all get to go back to the Word of God and see what He said or what He hasn't. I, But the whole point is we can think so highly of our opinions or traditions that we choose them over people. And we'll see that more in a moment. But that's heartbreaking, isn't it? Where we'll we'll choose an idea over a person. But yet that's what our world does in everything. And we can do it too if we're not careful. You know, do I hold up ideas or actions as God's word that God doesn't even hold up as his word? Am I willing to choose people over ideas in traditional areas? Do I shut people off for having a different viewpoint or a way they fulfill God's command in me? If not, then maybe the rest of the words Jesus says here will open our eyes. Look at verse 14. There's a lot more to this than simply tradition. But look at verse 14 to 22. It says, And he called to the people, he called the people to him and again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? And thus he declared all foods clean." And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. What he says here is when, and the point, last point, is when we elevate tradition to command, our hearts are defiled. He says, look, the sins that you commit, where do they originate? You ever said something that you couldn't believe you said? And he's like, I don't know what I just said. I don't know where that came from. Have you ever said that phrase? You know what Jesus says? I know where it came from. (laughs) Came from your heart. And what he's saying here is, you guys think this washing is what defiles you, but it's what's within you that defiles you, Pharisees. And that's what he's explaining to his, uh, his disciples. They thought it was this outward stuff, but Jesus shows... It's what's within a man that can defile him. Jesus emphasizes the inward, not the outward. The Pharisees thought it was all about the rituals, and it wasn't. What Jesus is saying here is, look, you're defiled because of what's within you. You seem outwardly clean. You seem to do all the right things perfectly, but inwardly you're dirty. You play a character. You hold up your ways over mine. And and he says, look, you can make yourself king of your heart. It's easy to do. And what's scary about this passage to me is that you can make yourself king of your heart, and you can have a defiled heart, have something dirty on the inside, all while looking correct on the outside. You can seem to do everything right, and yet your heart's far. And that makes me pause a little bit in my own life. That defiled heart 
kept the Pharisees from building bridges when you look at their life. It kept them from showing the love of God to others. If you look right after this in this text, Jesus goes on to heal two people. For time's sake tonight, we are not going to go read all of that. But right after this, Jesus heals the daughter of a Syrophoenician woman, which means a Gentile. Her daughter had a demon in her. The Pharisees would have nothing to do with that woman or her daughter because they were a Gentile. I don't think they would have helped her because that didn't fit their tradition. They probably would have had a problem with Jesus going and touching her or helping her, and yet that's what Jesus did. See, Jesus didn't let tradition keep him from helping somebody and building a bridge. The next one, Jesus heals a deaf man. The text is interesting. It says he puts his finger in his ears, and then it says... After spitting, he touched the man's tongue. I think a group of people that had an issue with you eating with dirty hands probably wouldn't like that. Um, But they probably would have thought this deaf man is deaf because of his sin. And I would likely assume that because of tradition, they wouldn't have anything to do with this man either. And Jesus didn't allow tradition to keep him from building bridges to people. He wanted a relationship with them. He wanted to help them. And he didn't let the thoughts or opinions of man get in the way. And here's my takeaway for you tonight. And because we started a few minutes early, I'm going to end quite a few minutes early for you too. The takeaway for us tonight is we cannot let tradition be elevated to command. And we cannot let it keep us from building bridges. Tradition is not bad. I don't think we should go and change all of our traditions. That's not the message. But we can't elevate it. Because if we make everything about our traditions, that will be a bad thing. If we love how we do something more than people, our heart is defiled. If we hold our own ideas as God's, our heart is defiled. If it's always got to be my way or the highway, our heart is defiled. If we've always done it this way is our motto for everything, every time, our heart is defiled. If, we, if what we do becomes our identity instead of God himself, our heart is defiled. If we forget the why for why we're here and what we do, our heart is defiled. If our faith becomes a checklist, our heart is defiled. Are you with me tonight? Does it make sense? I hope so, and I hope you don't misunderstand anything I'm saying. So we all need to ask ourselves, what's more important to me, my ideas or people? My opinion or what God has said and God's people. What's, what's more important to me, God's command or my comfort? Am I more interested in doing things my way or simply, doing, or simply fulfilling God's commands? And my prayer is we don't let tradition keep us as a church or us as individuals from developing relationships. We don't let it keep us from building a bridge. And that we don't try to build a bridge to people to make them think exactly like us on everything, but simply build a bridge to Jesus. Let's not let tradition become a place, become to a spot it shouldn't be. Would you pray with me as we close? Father, we thank you so very much for uh, your word and how it convicts and it applies to so many areas of our life. We thank you that you would share your will for us. And we're thankful that we can know the people you would want us to be and the the things you want us to be about. Uh, God, we have a lot of opinions and thoughts on many things in this world Um, We have ways we like to do things, and there's nothing wrong with that. But God, help us to never let our own thoughts or our own opinions uh, ever be put on the same standing as what you've commanded and as what you've legislated. 
Uh, God, help us to enjoy the freedom we have in Christ. But God, uh, help us to not force our own thoughts on other people and bind them. Uh, We thank you for the freedom we find in you. God, at the same time, we want everyone to come to know you and to follow your commands. And we don't want our tradition to ever get in the way of that. And God, we see a world where people seem to not care about what you say at times or they, they, they're so relaxed on your word. And God, we wish people would open their hearts to follow your word as closely as possible. At the same time, help us to not add to it. Not only not to take away from it, but not to add to it as well. God, we want to build bridges to people. There's nothing more that we want to see in our lives as a church and as an individual than to see our family and our friends and this whole community in Choctaw come to know you the real you, to come to repent, to have faith in you, to be immersed in you, to walk faithfully with you. And God, help us to get out of our own way if we're in our own way with that. Um, God, please give us opportunities. God, please give us a heart to walk through those doors you open and talk to people, to love on people, to serve them, to invite them. Uh, Help us to be bridge builders. God, thank you so very much for building a bridge to us. Thank you for seeing our sin and how evil we were and yet dying on a cross for us anyway, for loving us with the great love that you have. Uh, Help us to show that love to other people. Thank you for tonight. Thank you for this awesome church family we have here in Choctaw. And I pray this in your son's name. Amen. All right, you're dismissed.